Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We speak today to Howard Klein of RK Equity. They are a lithium uh, market commentator and consultant to some of the big companies. Um, we talked today uh, about the sentiment in the marketplace. How are people feeling about investing in lithium as a whole? He's got some strong views on that one. We look at some of the Q2 uh, quarterlies, which came out from some of the big players and uh, trying to interpret what they mean and what the knock-on effect has been for financing in this space. We've heard recently that it's been quite difficult. Uh, Howard has uh, some examples of where companies are finding success. Plus, we talk about Clays, which we've talked again spoken about recently with some of our interviews, and we compare and contrast to companies in that space. And we look at DLE. What is that? It's direct lithium extraction. Some quite interesting new technologies coming out, which may may find uh, a way uh, of helping the brine producers actually speed up their production. So enjoy the podcast. Howard, how are you doing, sir? I am doing very well. The background's a little bit different here because uh, I'm on a little bit of a, a holiday, but you, you caught me and the Wi-Fi in this uh, cabin that we've rented uh, is perfect. So I'm, I'm doing well and looking forward to going on a hike hey. as soon as we're done with this interview. Really? Yeah, so where, where are you? Where have you gone? Up a mountain somewhere? We're, we're near the Finger Lakes in uh, upstate New York. It's about a four-hour drive uh, kind of northwest, so Ithaca area. It's a home of a couple of colleges, a college town like Cornell and Ithaca College, but um, uh, it, you know some national parks nearby that my wife has organized some stuff, maybe some kayaking or um, oh, nice. tubing. We'll, we'll see what the... Uh, Fantastic. Hiking for sure. Good lad. Good lad. Healthy. Nice, healthy holiday. Hey, well, like, we're here to catch up for um, our update on the world of lithium. So we caught up with Rodney, uh, your partner, a couple of weeks ago. And obviously we, we spoke a few, you know, a few weeks ago now. Um, a lot seems to be happening. So I want to kind of have a run through this from an investor's perspective and sort of, you know, help share some of the things which are moving on, happening out there. So um, first of all, general sentiment. No one seems to care about lithium still, do they? No, that's not fully accurate. (laughs) Um, (laughs) For some reason, a bunch of uh, Robin Hood traders uh, seem to have caught on to, you know, at least one stock, um, you know, Lithium America's, through the Tesla enthusiasm. So in the United States, people are starting to pay attention, maybe not in in the UK or in Australia, but Elon Musk, um, well, one, Tesla stock has gone ballistic and he's been talking about lithium and nickel, both on Twitter and in his quarterly conference call. So uh, the, the fact that Tesla's doing so well demonstrates that his cars are selling well. Um, Data points in in China and in Europe in terms of sales have been have been pretty good in in the last few months, July and August. Uh, The fact that he he was profitable in Q2 compared to the rest of the auto sector, which was not um, the fact that he announced, you know, the Austin Gigafactory, and I think Rodney may have mentioned he's planning to build the semi there and the Cybertruck. Those are very big batteries. Um, so the sentiment 
toward lithium is improving uh, in the United States selectively. Uh, it's not reflected in most stocks yet. If you listen to this, so the Q2 earnings came out of Albemarle, Livent, Ganfengs were also out this week. Actually, Ganfengs were more positive in their commentary um, than Albemarle and Livent kind of still talked about a relatively murky, no visibility, high inventories, et cetera. Um, and in fact, in, in Albemarle's case, they announced an idling of their North Carolina hydroxide plant for four months, as well as their Silver Peak. So in my mind, that is largely a tactical move by them ahead of their year-end contract negotiations with their, um, uh, you know, with their buyers, because they had to make some price concessions on their lithium hydroxide contracts, you know, last year. And going into next year, they don't want to have to do that. So the market's going to be tightening, I think, uh, fairly soon. Um, Morgan Stanley's China analyst is becoming not yet in the market, but I'm, I'm watching this. You know, uh, Ganfeng, I call leading indicator kind of Ganfeng. The, the, the people who are analyzing Ganfeng at Morgan Stanley, and as well, I saw some notes from, from Daiwa overnight. Uh, Ganfeng's talking about Australia being in undersupply of spodumene in one to two years. Okay, Ganfeng has 50,000 tons of hydroxide coming on stream later this year. Their sales and market share are growing enormously in Korea and Japan. You know, SQM is gaining market share in China of a low-priced, carbonate, low-quality product, but Ganfeng is selling higher quality, higher priced product to Western OEMs in Korea and Japan. So if you're focused on that, which I am, I'm focused mostly on companies that can sell to Tesla, to Volkswagen outside of China and um, how that's looking. And uh, most of that's hydroxide and the data points coming from Ganfeng are good. The note I think I just sent you, Morgan Stanley was talking about that inventories of spodumene have been depleted from like five months to like three and a half months just in July and, and August. So this message, you know, hopefully on the, in the ears of your listeners outside of China, you know, um, will start to resonate. And I think you, you, you're going to, and this is corroborated by Rodney's research, uh, he thinks hydroxide is going to turn a lot sooner. He's talking about second half next year. But the data points, like these things could be brought forward. Again, if this is battery-grade hydroxide. Not, I'm not speaking about any other product. And, and that product is only about 60,000 tons of the, the 300,000 ton lithium market. But it's the one that's growing the fastest. And, you know, if you just look at the demand from Tesla, for hydroxide, you know, toward, you know, Q4 2021, if you look at all of their plants and their plans, they're going to consume as much hydroxide as is the current market okay. alone, one company. Okay, so I'm looking for clues here. So, thank, okay, you, you think things are going to be fine. So you're painting a rosy picture. But if I'm looking at the numbers, okay, spodumene imports to, into China, 83% percent 83 down year on year. You've got lithium uh, carbonate production down 17% year on year. So are you saying to us, well, you know, um, that means that the market's tightening? 
Uh, therefore, that's a good thing. And plus, you need to be focused on the right companies um, in, in the first place. Hydroxide is the way forward. So what happens to the rest of these lithium companies? It's a, it's a tough question to add. There's lots of lithium companies, right? You know, in, in my mind, hydroxide focused companies are the ones that you should be focused on. So there's right. only three hydroxide, battery quality hydroxide producers. So that's Albemarle, Livent, and Ganfeng. Okay. That- Their suppliers, I would throw mineral resources into that mix because mineral resources is a spodumene supplier to Ganfeng. And um, they're also partnered with Albemarle. So although they don't make hydroxide, they're correlated to hydroxide. And plus, it's a very well-managed company that has iron ore and mine services. So those four companies are, are well-positioned. They're at various valuations. Ganfeng is much more highly valued than Livent. I prefer, I think Livent is, a, is actually, you know, well-priced here, you know, um, for a hydroxide upturn. And the, the commentary that they had in, in their um, conference call was, was very positive. Outside of them, within the developing space, there's been a lot of, you know, Lithium Americas has gone up a lot in value, despite the fact that they've had relatively bad news. But um, let's, 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 come, let's, come back, let's come back to them. Let's come back to them, Howard, because I want, I want to deal this sequentially. Okay, so you're saying, as far as you're concerned, hydroxide sure. companies are the ones that investors should be uh, looking at because that's where this whole EV, you know, m- m- mobile battery uh, demand is going to be, um, you know, addressing um, you know, the, high, the high-grade hydroxide. So it, my question to you again is, given that's your preference, okay, that's your preference, that's what your, your belief is, there's a lot of other lithium companies out there. Are you saying we should in your opinion, ignore all those other companies because there's no money to be made? Or are you saying they all have some value, but not as valuable as the hydroxide producers? I would not say that the other companies have no value. Um, but if you're an Argentine brine producer, and I know I watch a lot of your videos and I, I, I raise money and advise a number of companies in Argentina, Chile. So... Um, you know, Lithium Power is, you know, a company that we, we still advise. Um, they have a Maracunga asset in in Chile. You know, they're waiting for, uh, you know, a deal with Cadelco, right? You know, and it's been taking a, a really, really long time. Uh, so that's a good asset. The world will need more brine assets. The world will need more carbonate as well as will need more hydroxide. There's no question about that. Um which project there are a lot of projects picking the winners uh, within the argentine brines and the chilean brines is a more challenging uh dynamic then you know but millennial lithium who you've had on the program we've done work for they're well capitalized they still have the cash in the bank they can wait right so balance sheet matters like if you're an investor and you're worried about dilution so neolithium has a lot of cash on the balance sheet you know, lithium power, like those three, lithium power, millennial, and neolithium are, are three companies which are, are, are good companies, good management, good projects, but waiting for how long, I don't know. Like the carbonate turn is going to take longer, in my opinion. Okay. And while that's turn you're waiting for, new things are happening like direct lithium extraction is you know uh becoming interesting and people are thinking about 
Actually, those the strategies of millennial and lithium power and neolithium are still using conventional brine uh, technology, right? So there is a bit of a movement. Like, why are you still using you know that technology and not trying some of these other promising you know DLE technologies? So th there's there's a whole host of risks connected to brines in South America that um, make them more challenging. Right. Like I just I don't VW did a tour of the Atacama to see from a sustainability perspective if, you know, it's OK. And they didn't say it's not OK, but they didn't say it's OK. Right. They, they came out with a, a kind of a, a muddled opinion, like like to be seen whether or not we're going to invest in in South America. But on the other hand, VW is and BMW have outwardly said, you know, we're partnering with Ganfeng. And we understand getting lithium from hard rock is sustainable. It's scalable, you know. So they're they're voting with their wallets and and their and their verbiage, okay? You know that hard rock is is where these Western OEMs are are going. So it's not to say I just I don't see a quick turn. I could be wrong. Like I said this at the end of last year and in January, all the Argentina you know lithium stocks soared. Right. You know, like January, February, you know, is kind of game on. So if you're a contrarian, you could kind of say everyone hates Argentina. Everyone hates, you know, Chile, you know, as a trade. OK, uh, it may work. But the likelihood that you're going to see a strategic deal into those countries, OK, um, is lower than than you're going to see in other assets in other countries. And if it does happen in South America, it's most likely going to be Chinese, in my opinion. Okay, so let's, let's talk about that. You've got um, players like Oracobre, SQM, um, producing some of the cheapest lithium, lowest quartile production costs, because it's brine. It, that's what it's known for. Brine is known for cheap. You're saying companies are now voting with their feet. In terms of this whole ESG component, you're saying the sustainability uh decision-making is going to outweigh funding decisions. There's all going to be a big component of funding decisions for brines going forward. I'm not saying exactly what you said, okay? Because it's to be seen whether or not anyone's going to pay up for sustainability. I'm not saying that VW has said, I'm willing to pay more for sustainability, okay? What I'm saying is that Hard rock to hydroxide is cheaper, okay? And they're one hydroxide, okay? Brine to hydroxide is not cheaper, okay? So if you lay, and they want hydroxide, they don't want carbonate more, right? You know, I'm talking about Western OEMs for their cars outside of China. So layer on sustainability factors like like, do they want to deal with geopolitical risk? Do they want to deal with uh, indigenous people risk? Do they want, you know, to deal with, uh, you know, people, you know, because it, it's not clear the solar, you know, how, you, how you're damaging or not damaging the solar and the water. And, and it's just there's a lot of question marks about it that, um, you know, but if it were definitively cheaper, right? then they'd probably look at it you know, more seriously, but it's not cheaper. And the cheapness also ebbs and flows, right? You know, there, there are currency considerations, right? Th that are influencing, there are royalty considerations, 
There are export tax considerations. Like Argentina is not in good financial shape. So this is an export industry that they already put an export tax on, but because the peso, you know, has declined in value, they're getting less, you know, hard currency taxes from that export tax. So, so the, the probability of a raising an export tax in, you know, the Fernandez administration in Argentina is, is high. So you can't, the predictability of the cost with a medium to long-term basis that, you know, a VW or a Tesla, you know, would want is very variable and unpredictable. So there's just a whole host of factors arguing against South American brine um, for, you know, Tesla, VW, European, you know, American um, cars that, that people are driving, right? And there's there's a definitive appreciation for hard rock, um, but these new, this DLE has suddenly become, you know, Yep. Interesting, intriguing. It hasn't attracted a, sh- a ton of capital yet, but it's being looked at. Okay, well, and we'll look at, and we will look at it in a minute. So I want to come on to financing there. Therefore, what you're saying then about brines to carbonate versus hard rock to hydroxide, you, you're saying that actually hard rock is now is now more economic because it's delivering a product that these large OEMs want, the Teslas of this world want, China wants. So they are now, so it hasn't always been the case, more attractive. So are those projects getting financed? Because we had someone on last week, a CEO of a lithium company, saying that you know he knows at least 20 projects of, you know, in fact, not mothball, but have had to sit around and wait because they're not able to raise capital. That's probably true. There probably are 20 that are mothballed, but there are another, you know, 20 that are, are, are real and, and another, you know, of that five or six of them um, have raised, you know, meaningful capital in the, in recent times. So okay. Sigma Lithium, right. okay. Sigma Lithium uh, in Brazil uh, just raised $45 million from Societe Generale, right? At 5% interest rate. Like this is a traditional project finance loan and that compare that's for a spodumene only project, not even making lithium chemicals. So spodumene, everybody thinks, is in massive oversupply. And previous spodumene debt funding that went to Altura and went to Pilbara, you know, were in the twelve to fifteen percent, you know, uh, uh, interest rate category a, a few years ago. So the Nordic bonds and and you know, American hedge funds financed with very expensive, you know, mezzanine like, you know, funding for spodumene projects in a much hotter market. This is a much weaker market. And here you have SockGen, you know, basic, and, and, and this is very important as well. The Europeans are getting with the program that hard rock is sustainable, right? This was a green financing. This was like this, this money was investing in lithium is green. Right. And in li- investing in lithium hard rock is green. And, you know, so SockGen 5% interest rate is, is very low, very attractive. They required Sigma to, you know, put another $10 million of equity underneath, which Sigma was able to raise at a premium to their last raise two years ago. They did it at $2.15 compared to like $2 where they raised money a few years ago in a much hotter market. So here's a Brazilian spodumene asset, right? Brazilian is not, you know, the greatest country risk, okay? 
but it's a good project. It's partnered with Mitsui. And um, so they got that done. They've raised $55 million just in the past two months. They're now kind of like fully funded and ready to kind of go into construction. You know, in an oversupplied market, a company getting funded, you know, where lithium prices, those spodumene prices are like $400, right? And they're talking about producing at like $200. So that that's a, that's a good sign. Pilbara, an already producing company, but, you know, have significantly curtailed their production very significantly. They, they were at risk of, um, you know, they had to raise equity because they were struggling to meet their, you know, interest payments. They were just about to have to start paying principal on their Nordic bond, which was at 12%. And they managed to get that completely refinanced at 5%. Okay. Again, in a terrible spodumene price market. And that was led by BNP Paribas. Again, sustainable finance. So that was a $100 million refinance. Further, Namaska was just announced. Namaska got a bid from Pallinghurst, okay, a, a major private equity group, up to $600 million in combination with the Quebec, you know, investment arm, Investment Quebec. So people were talking about, uh, oh, Namaska is a basket case. What's happening, you know, in, in Quebec? You forget about Quebec for the next, you know, five years. But again, Hard Rock Project, you know, Wabuchi, you know, with the converter, you know, to hydroxide is, has had an outcome. And finally, you know, we talked about it again, I'm an advisor and investor, you know, in Piedmont Lithium, since we last spoke, they raised $20 million um, in straight equity. That's not a small amount of money, right, in, in you know, in this market for advanced development. Um, they raised a lot of it in their US listing, you know, on NASDAQ, which is the first time they actually did it there, as opposed to just raising the money, you know, from sophisticated institutions like Oz Super and Fidelity, which, you know, also participated in that raise. So, so, and that's important actually from a Piedmont perspective, Oz Super is like the biggest, one of the biggest funds in Australia, Fidelity, obviously one of the biggest investors in the world. There's real institutional backing, you know, for, for a hard rock story, you know, in North America, you know, similar, you know, to Namaska, you know, so hard rock, has been financed. There have been some DLE companies like Vulcan Energy has raised, you know, four or five million, you know, Australian dollars at a, at a reasonable valuation, twenty-five million dollars. Lake Resources has managed to raise, you know, three or four million dollars. These are kind of like they're making progress. It's not real, real dollars. Um, a private company, Lilac, that, that got a lot of press, you know, because Bill Gates, you know, Breakthrough Energy Ventures, you know, came into that. So there's there's some interest in DLE, not big dollars yet. Um, the only big dollars that have been put into brines has, has been Livent's refinancing. You know, so Livent's a producing company, big three company. They were financing their expansion in Argentina with a short-term revolver, which made no sense. They were struggling with their covenants, right? Because they were, you know, the debt to EBITDA. They were, you know, they couldn't draw on on the loan anymore. So they had to refinance about $250 million. So they did do a $250 million deal. The interest rate was four and an eighth percent, but it was also convertible, I think like at $8 and 37 cents. That was also sustainable finance though. It was like under the sustainability guidelines. So the movement in sustainability to finance 
lithium mining is an interesting development that's uh, you know happened in the capital markets um, in the past few months. It's no, it's, it's fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating. Not in the in you know lots of commodities that are involved with the battery thematic. I think we're seeing more and more of that for sure. Okay, so there's, there's a few good examples. I'm kind of interested to see how uh, Pallinghurst play that deal out. You know, because obviously they they will have bought it at a heavily discounted rate, and hopefully they feel they can walk in and sort out sort out the Namaska mess out. Um, the, you mentioned a few there, which is you know keep the lights on type money, but Sigma, Piedmont, those are quite interesting. That those are getting funded. So there are conversations going on in the market. You're you're feeling quite positive about the way that these big funds are looking at lithium again. I'm not feeling positive so much yet about the big funds, right? So hedge funds and um and mutual funds selectively, like, like I said, in Piedmont's case, these were existing shareholders who are making bets. They have endless amounts of money and they continue to support Piedmont. But you're not seeing like Livent still has 17 percent short interest. You know, Albemarle has 11 and a half percent. Lithium America, strangely, because I looked at this, only has about two and a half percent. So Lithium America is very much a retail stock. Right. And that stock is like had a, a very volatile, again, Robin Hood, you know, kind of trading. But if you look at the hedge funds on Wall Street in, in New York and elsewhere, they're still largely listening to kind of what I believe is the wrong Morgan Stanley kind of South American, you know, commodity narrative um, and are, are looking at the short term, you know, price, which has been going down in fairness, right? You know, but... Um, Albemarle stocks ticked up a bit, but, you know, less than the, the broader market. Livent, you know, not so much so. But um, I think a short squeeze is going to happen, you know, in Livent and Albemarle in the next three to six months. Okay, but okay, you mentioned Lith- Lithium Americas there. Let's let's have a conversation about Clays. So we had back an hour on recently, and they've got, obviously got a huge yeah. opportunity there. They've also got Gang Feng as a, as a uh, shareholder and partner. Um, and then Lithium Americas, okay, one is on AIM, back in or is on AIM, about 50 million pounds. Um, and then you've got Lithium Americas, which is NYSE, about 800 million bucks. You know, couldn't be more different, apparently, but they've both got the same problem, which is, you know, how do they solve the problem technically? And what's your view on both of those companies? Um, so... I've represented both of those companies. I don't represent either of them now, but very familiar with them. And, uh, you know, there was a thought that uh, Ganfeng uh, being partnered with Lithium Americas in Argentina uh, and also invested at the parent level at Lithium Americas that, you know, I I went to Lithium Americas site visit when they announced their pre-feasibility study in 2018. And at that point, they were advertising how um, you know, Ganfeng had tested their clay material and, um, you know, it looked like Ganfeng was going to be partnered with Lithium Americas. Uh, but then Trump's trade war last year and all things China, you know, strategic minerals, et cetera, you know, made that kind of untenable. So I think Ganfeng's taste of clay with Lithium Americas, but then their realization that they couldn't do a deal with Lithium Americas, you know, attracted them to back a north. Right. So. And then they did a deal with Bacanora and they got a very good valuation at Bacanora because Bacanora's valuation is very low. So Ganfeng is the most astute deal maker in this space, uh, in my observation. And they're also the greatest technical partner that you could have 
for a lithium project. So clay is very difficult. It's, it, I, um, I can't remember if I said this already earlier in this uh, uh, interview, but Elon Musk tweeted that lithium is abundant, but you know, making high purity lithium hydroxide from clay is a challenge, right? So if anyone's going to crack that challenge, it's going to be Ganfeng, okay? Uh, first, in my opinion. So in my opinion, if Ganfeng and Bacanor approve the process, then other investors who are, you know, will, will start to believe in, let's say, the management of Lithium Americas, you know, that they can pull off something like that as well. Because I have a great respect for the, the management of Lithium Americas, right? Rene LeBlanc, John Evans, these guys are, are, are very well skilled, but no one at that company has ever built a project or undertaken a project of the magnitude that they're contemplating with their Thacker Pass, right? You know, and there were the hearings at the, at the, at the environmental, their draft EIS, they had some hearings. They're in this period where they're awaiting comments. They're trying to get permitted, but this is a, this is a very big project and having represented that company for seven years and just spoken to a lot of strategic investors, a lot of hedge funds, a lot of mutual funds and say, hey, come and invest in this. And they're like, well, there's Hard Rock, there's Brines. Clay's hard, like you sound good, it sounds right, but you know, there's lots of Hard Rock stories out there, right? You know, that, that are less risky. Like, why, why wouldn't I just, like, do that? Like, what, why, the, the promise sounds great, but, but if Ganfeng proves it with Bacanora, right, then I think those skeptics will say, oh, if they've done it, okay, great. You've, Ganfeng's proved it. This is an America that's great. So I just think Lithium America is going to continue to have a challenge. It could be wrong, right? There, there could be there, – there could be companies but, – but companies like Piedmont are speaking to the same people that – that lithium america is speaking at the two right so if you're a strategic investor and you're thinking should i try clay or should i try you know proven hard rock which am i going to do i think like on balance you know and and the valuation you know uh, is very different like so there's a lot of in retail enthusiasm you know for thacker pass because it's in nevada you know tesla's in nevada like it's had 10 years of this kind of like connection um and, you know, so it's good marketing, but I, I, I think it's a, I'm watching Bacanora. Bacanora is very, uh, you know, uh, low valuation. I believe it's already permitted, right? You know, so Thacker Pass isn't even permitted and, and it's not a slam dunk that it you know, will get permitted on the timeline that they're anticipating. So, you know, other, from a value perspective, you know, Bacanora is much more attractive, but I wouldn't rush into be buying Bacanora stock, you know, now either because they're still waiting to redefine their definitive feasibility study with Ganfeng's impact, but they're going to come to market at some point and say, this is the cost, you know, and Ganfeng is going to write a check, you know, to build this, uh, you know, but Bacanora is going to need additional funding for it. And at that moment, right, that might be the right time to uh, enter, you know, Bacanora, but my preference in clay would be Bacanora certainly before Thacker passed. Okay, so lithium clays, the mystery that needs to be unlocked by Gang Feng, and in your view, the only people who are capable of doing it, uh, and therefore lithium America is vastly overpriced. Rob, the Robin Hood effect, is that what you're saying? <laughs> I, would, I would say be careful. Okay, DLE, you've been bursting to talk about it. So why don't you tell people what it is, 
and the state of the market for DLE. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know about bursting to talk about it, but uh, the direct lithium extraction, I'm not a technical guy at all, but it has the promise of, there's a lot of assets in the world that are in, you know, let's say first world jurisdictions, you know, safer jurisdictions closer to where, uh, you know, car manufacturing and cell manufacturing are happening. Um, Livent, uh, a producer for the past kind of 20 years, you know, never really talked about, you know, direct lithium extraction using those words, but their methodology of producing lithium is different than the pure evaporation ponds that are used by uh, SQM and, and Albemarle in Chile. Uh, so they've cottoned on to like DLE. You don't have to use the ponds. It's more environmentally friendly. It's more sustainable. So it's kind of good marketing for Livent to, like, to say DLE has the perception that it's more sustainable, right? You know, until recently, you know, in a similar way that clay has is unconventional, unproven, um, uh, you know, the concept of DLE has been like it's never been proven before, right? You know, so there have been companies like Tenova Bateman, um, you know, and Posco who have had partnerships with, you know, in Argentina, you know, you know and Aramet is another company in Argentina that has a, a, a direct lithium extraction technology different than evaporation ponds. Actually, that story, Aramet, the most amount of money that was ever invested, I think, in a DLE project was Aramet. They invested about $150 million. And earlier this year, they said they're not, not advancing the project. Right. So DLE hasn't attracted a ton of money. However, Livent is kind of saying, you know what, for the past 20 years, we've been doing DLE. So they're, 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 they're positioning DLE as conventional, right, even though it's not, you know, kind of fully conventional. Standard Lithium is a company that Elon Musk tweeted about. He was reading a clean technical article and he, you know, in a, in a couple of days when he was had lithium on his mind, he said, oh, lithium's not uh, rare. It's, it's common. Lithium's everywhere. And, you know, look, lithium's everywhere. Uh, Standard Lithium, th this looks like it has potential. So Standard Lithium is partnered with Langzess, a German company with an asset that's in Arkansas. So they are taking you know, uh, what is a bromine, you know, uh, X oil field, but they're, they're producing bromine from it. And uh, the lithium is kind of waste, right? So Langzess said, or, or standard lithium said to Langzess, we could take your waste and turn it into sellable lithium. And they're using with their Toronto Venture Exchange listed company, you know, they've raised 30 to $40 million. They built a demonstration plan. They're not, they're still at PEA level. There's still a lot to prove. But Langsus basically said, if you prove the concept, then we'll fund it, right? You know, and we'll, and Langsus will get 70% of it and Standard Lithium will get like 30%. So the fact that that stock has risen, you know, and has been performing well, combined with um, the Breakthrough Energy Ventures, you know, Bill Gates, you know, invested $20 million in a private company called Lilac. Lilac's partnered with a company called Lake Resources in Argentina. Uh, Lake has managed to raise four or five million dollars. There's a company called Vulcan uh, in uh, Germany that managed to raise four or five million dollars. They came out of nowhere. That's a geothermal brine. So there's geothermal brine. There's oil field brine. You know, there's DLE that could be applied to conventional solars. Um, the concept of you know, as sustainability is gaining traction, and as people like you think that. Chile, Argentina, that's the cheapest. Brian's are the cheapest. But 
you know, there, there, there are big knocks and worries about the traditional uh, solar technology where you're really only recovering 30 or 50 percent. So DLE has the potential, you know, it's faster, right? You don't have to wait two years. It's in good jurisdictions, you know, and it produces, you know, higher recovery and, and a cleaner, consistent, um, you know, high purity, you know, lithium. You know, so, so this is interesting. What I'll say, the last thing, the one other company I'd mentioned, we've, we've done some work for this company in the past, not currently representing them, but E3 Metals is in Alberta. You know, this is an oil field brine. What's interesting about that is that they partnered with Livent. Like Livent is uh, the leader, the technology leader in um, DLE, right? They're now saying we've been doing DLE for years. Uh, they made a small investment, you know, up to five and a half million U.S. dollars. They've put in, I think, one and a half million so far. But that stock, E3, is sitting there at like below 10 million market cap, you know, whereas some of these other stories I mentioned have started rallying a bit like Standard Lithium and Vulcan. Um, you know, but people seem to be ignoring, you know, this one that's partnered with, uh, um, you know, Liven, you know, one of the big three lithium hydroxide producers. Okay, you, you've had a run around there with lots of different companies from DLE to clays <laughs> to hard rock, you know, conventional carbon and et cetera. But, and you, what you said at the beginning though, I've got to keep coming back to this, you know, for four companies effectively, Gangfeng, Livent, uh, Albemarle, and um, sorry, was it Mineral Resources? Was that the fourth? Mineral Resources that yeah. are correlated to hydroxide. Yeah. Right, okay, so th those are the four. Obviously Gangfeng, but hard to invest into Livent, Albemarle, Mineral Resources. So there's not a lot, lot of choice out there in, in, in your in your opinion, tier one um, uh, lithium uh, producers, okay? So how do, how do we, normal people who don't live and breathe it like you do, Look around this 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 market. Uh, I was a bit tongue in cheek at the beginning about no one caring about lithium. Obviously, you know Morgan Stanley says you know that that, that China is showing early signs of um, rebalance, etc. And we've we've interviewed a few companies um, actually operating in China, um, and you know the, the demand is definitely coming. Um, it's a question of how do we pick companies that we can make money on outside of your top four. What are we looking for? So there's. Um, Ganfeng's listed in Hong Kong, so if you if you you can invest in Hong Kong, that's okay. Um, I've invested in Ganfeng. In China, it's like impossible. But I, I prefer there's five companies listed on the U.S. exchange, properly listed, okay, with reasonable liquidity. So your choice, you know, there's Albemarle, Liven, SQM. I don't love SQM for the variety of reasons I think um, you know that I mentioned before. I think Liven is poised for a hydroxide price spike, you know, and short squeeze. So I like that story, you know, quite a bit. It's risky still because it's Argentina and, you know, but they've got their financing out of the way and, and the overhang of the convert, um, you know, is behind them. Albemarle still, you know, very good company. It's the proxy. It's the most liquid. Um, like I said, I'm advisor to Piedmont, so take this with a grain of salt, you know, whatever. But Piedmont, you know, at 65 million valuation um, for a plain vanilla spodumene, you know, two hydroxide story. There's very few pure ways to play hydroxide uh, or spodumene at a low valuation in, you know, a, a good jurisdiction. So at 65 million market cap, just last year, 
Kidman got bought at 10 times that valuation and Albemarle paid a ton, you know, nearly $2 billion for mineral resources, you, you know, Wajina asset, right, in terms of economic value. So um, when the market turns, and if I'm right about, uh, you know, and Ganfeng saying that in one to two years, you know, Australian spodumene is going to be in short supply, um, the, the, the probability that a Piedmont attracts a bid, you know, similar to Kidman or, or Wajina is high. And the valuation, you know, this is, they have a, own 100% of their project. They are, uh, they have 100% of offtake to give, uh, 100% equity structure. There's no debt. There's no risk of them going bankrupt. And they just raised 20 million bucks, right, to further advance, you know, their, their studies. And they just announced a further drilling campaign to, uh, you know, enlarge the size of the resource. I think Piedmont's, to be honest, a, a, a no-brainer. Uh, Lithium America is, has been a good trading stock, right? You know, it, it, I mentioned it, you know, in our last conversation, it more than doubled in three months. Now I think it's, you know, it, it's overvalued. Um, in, uh, you know, I think there will be a turn in um, hard rock sentiment. So Altura, you know, and Pilbara, uh, you know, might be good plays. Altura still has to restructure their debt. So there's some consideration there, but they got a further reprieve from their bankers just announced this week. So that's interesting. Uh, there's some plays like, I, I think in Quebec, like Critical Elements and Frontier, again, Hard Rock, good jurisdictions, you, people aren't paying attention to that might be uh, of interest. And a few South Americans, like I said, I like Lithium Power, uh, if they cut their deal with Cadelco. Um, again, th these stocks are, are, are they're, they're cheap, millennial and, and uh, and neolithium, you know, they have cash. They could weather the storm. Um, they don't have debt, uh, you know. And then, as I said, in Bacanora's case, I would just wait, you know, to, to, to see what happens with, uh, you know, the Ganfeng, um, you know, DFS, you know, and, and what the costing is and when they when they do that capital raise. Okay, thanks for that. Well, I think we better cut it there. I've used up enough of your time today. Um, nice, nice going to romp through this. We should catch up again in, in, a, in a couple of weeks, probably with, with Rodney, see what's happening technically and then we'll speak to you in about a month that's it, that's it. That, does that sound good that sounds great matt really appreciate uh sharing our thoughts with your audience and um yeah love the relationship so happy to be back thank you for listening if you've enjoyed the interview why not subscribe to cruxcast or our website cruxinvestor.com and of course our youtube channel crux investor plus you can catch us most days on twitter and linkedin we really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming and we'll speak to you again soon.